Hey folks, it's John from AS for Alcoholic again. In today's AIFA conversation, I had a chance to speak with Kristen Weiss. She is a woman who, like many of us, um, started drinking to be the life of the party. And when that party ended, didn't know where to turn. Uh, she talks about going to jail. She talks about getting sober. She talks about making jewelry. And it was really a pleasure to have her share her strength, experience, and hope with us. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Kristen Weiss. I am pretty open with everything that I share. Um, and I mean, I do that, I guess, for a variety of reasons. But I think that sharing the ups and the downs is very important. Um, so yeah, um, you want me to just start, I guess, really where, when you, yeah, when did you, when did you first start drinking or when did you, or, or did that, did the alcoholic behavior start before the first drink? You know, um, so like growing up in the Midwest, I always said, um, like people were, I was married and, um, even before that I was a bartender and I was always just kind of this fun party girl. But I really had my stuff together. Like I was a very good student. I was in college. You know, I I lived a responsible lifestyle um, on the outside. Um, so I always made this joke that you know I was born in in Oklahoma and I came out of the womb with a beer in my hand. You know, it's kind of how I explain myself because that was life for us. You know, growing up in the Midwest. Um, with a town of 2,500 people, there isn't anything to do. Um, and so, you know, I think drinking became a thing in high school, but I still wasn't that kid. I, I was never the kid that, um, you know, drank every single weekend and, and things like that. So for me, um, my drug of choice, if you will, before I turned 21 was really food. Um, you know, and I even noticed that now in my sobriety, um, it's, it's my new thing I am trying to work on. It's like that food addiction. Um, but so food was the thing. So I got a job the second I could, and I used that money so that I could buy food and buy snacks. And, um, so that was really kind of my thing. But the second I turned 21, for the next 10 years, it was blackout city. I mean, I, I was zero to 100 immediately. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it was just this thing, you know, that now I had the solution to all my problems. Um, I, it made me the person that I really wanted to be, you know, I, and I was always this fun, jovial, you know, um, person, but I was really kind of angry and I had a lot of resentment from stuff that happened as a child and people always called me a bitch. And I knew that wasn't true. Like I was like, gosh, darn it. <laughs> like I'm a really nice person. Um, why don't people just see that I just have a few walls and stuff and alcohol, um, let me bring the walls down. It helped me let people in. Um, it ensured that I was the life of the party um, everywhere that I went. Um, and, 
you know, it was just the answer to everything. It's a good answer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like, have you had a bad day? I got a drink with your name on it. You know, have you, um, have you had a great day? Well, hell, you know, we need to have a couple more, like, well, the good stuff. And so it just, it became this, um, kind of uh, badge of honor that I wore. I was a girl from the Midwest who could drink and I could still wake up in the morning and get to work and be this high producing person. Um, but you know, what people didn't know is just that in order for me to be this high producing person, um, like eight to five, the second I got home, I was drowning my bitchiness and my, my anger and my, you know, anxiety from a crazy boss. Um, I was shoving it down my throat, but then, you know, the next day, nobody would be the wiser because that's how I maintained like a really high stress environment in my work. Um, and then it really didn't become what I saw as a true problem until um, I started going through relationship issues with my um, Mm -hmm. ex-husband. You know, they talk about an alcoholism, like uh, you can never turn a cucumber back into a pickle or wait, the other way around, right? (laughs) Yes. You can never turn a pickle back into a cucumber. Yes. Yeah. So I think I was teetering on this. I'm still a cucumber, you know, I'm still a cucumber um, person. And when I went through my, the final years of my relationship, it, um, I was a full blown pickle. Um, and did, did your, no did your husband drink as well at the time or your ex-husband? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a lot of, uh, resentment towards, um, the, the differences between him and I, um, because I was, a type of drinker that I drink in public, I drink socially, and I also drink at home. Um, and he was an at-home drinker and I wanted to be out. And so um, I would be out and getting him to be out was kind of hard. And so we had these schedules that actually worked out perfectly for me because he was a fireman. He'd be gone for 48 hours at a time. So those two days he was gone, I could go out, I could be party Kristen, I could be the center of attention, um, no curfew, nobody to answer to type of situation. And then on the days that he was home, we were at home drinkers. And um, as things kind of started spiraling in our relationship, I obviously spent more and more time out and about. And that persona of a person that I had when I was in public um, was not attractive to him. Um, it the was party, the party person, the, yeah, yeah. He, um, you know, he would never say that, but he would make these quips like Kristen's the center of attention, you know, just like she likes it. And, you know, when I kind of wrestled with that after I got sober, what's wrong with wanting to be the center of attention? Um, but it was, it was too much. I mean, I, I, I totally understand why he didn't, he didn't like that. Um, but what had happened 
really was that he was making me feel so terrible about how much I was drinking and really, um, you know, really made a big stink about it. He had every right, by the way, <laughs> to make a big stink about it. But what I had found after he had um, moved out was lots of hidden liquor bottles within my home. And um, so he very, very much, so we fed off of each other. And um, I know now that being sober, I wouldn't have been able to be in that marriage and be sober. Right. Um, so, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the, the really short story. <laughs> so, so you're in this relationship that's, uh, not going well, uh, yeah. a, a lot of it to do with, with drinking on, on both parties. Right. Um, but yours also, you were, you were wanting to go out and have fun and be the center of attention and this was not okay with him. Um, and so this, this ends, this relationship ends. Yeah. So what's interesting about my relationship with my ex is that we were high school sweethearts. Okay. And um, I had a stepfather who was an alcoholic and um, he was, you know, they, they say girls with daddy issues will marry the first boy that, that gives them any attention. And um, I have a great relationship with my real father, uh, but I didn't live with him. And um, my mom was often taking care of the other two kids that that she has, um, my brother and sister. And so I was often left alone with my stepdad who was a drunk. And so, um, it was not a great place for me to be. And my ex and his family really took me in. Um, you know, and it was just this really safe place for me. And, um, I, I ended up marrying him, uh, because he was in the military <laughs> and, um, He's still probably the love of my life, you know, um, he's my best friend, and um, this drinking led to lots of bad decisions on both of our parts, and um, we were together a total of 17 years, married nine, and we both just decided that, you know, we're, we don't have any kids yet, um, if we're going to start over, now's the time, and mm -hmm. so we kind of made that decision, and it, I, my divorce became final uh, one month after I quit drinking. So um, two of the hardest things you could probably go through, you know, I think it like scale of one to five, they might be four and five, you know, pretty tough things. I did simultaneously. Um, and I'm really grateful for that because I was a mess. <laughs> so you're, you're, you said you, you were together with this person for 17 years and you had been drinking for, all of that. I mean, you. Yeah. Um, I mean, legally 10 years of that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So there was uh, drinking, there was drinking in the house at a younger age than, than 21. Um, or you said it was mostly food that. I mean, there was drinking, but it wasn't anything okay. excessive. Um, but the second it became, cause I was a really good kid, you know, like the second it became legal. Got it. You know, then we, we went crazy. Got it. Um, but before that, it was just general high school debauchery. Like, I, I never had a fake ID, um, you know, maybe one weekend every month or every other month as a high school student. I don't know what's normal. Maybe I'm not normal, um, but that seemed normal to me. Mm -hmm. um, so so what was the 
so through all the drinking and then you know the divorces or the the relationship is ending what was the what was the moment of clarity or what was the what was the turning point where you said or did you have a moment of clarity where you said i have to stop this or this needs to end or was there well, one single thing or a series of things so um i was kind of getting to this point um about 6 months before i had quit drinking um where i knew things were out of control i was sick in the morning i and i i um i didn't care like i had kind of lost my my will um to give a shit really you know i was really sad and um if i didn't wake up in the morning i think i would be just fine with that you know at that point in my life and i had reached out to an old roommate from college who had gotten um taken to a treatment center while she was still my roommate and i never saw her again um and i had no idea she was an alcoholic i had to go clean her room up and i found all of these vodka bottles and it it was kind of this thing that uh we never talked about ever again and i never saw her again um but that summer she had came to the city that i lived in and i remember reaching out to her and just saying like how what do i do like i'm in so much pain what do i do like this is this is not i can't live this way mm-hmm. um it hurts so bad i'd never lost anybody like from like a death so i don't know what it was like um and she told me you know she gave me a lot of advice um i remember i joined some sober support groups um and just my spiral just you know kept going and um what what i don't share online because i and i have a specific reason for it and i'll share it with you but um is that um my ex-husband and i still maintaining a friendship um he was supposed to help me move out of my apartment and um he blew me off and so i did the the sober thing or i did the right thing i took an uber to the um local bar and i got tore up i took an uber home and i got uh i knocked on the wrong door i was trying to get into the wrong apartment it wasn't my apartment and um this went on for a long period of time to the point where they called the cops and i got a public intoxication arrest on my literally on my front doorstep by the time the cops had gotten there i was already at my front door and you know um it was embarrassing um and i i don't share it online a lot because of my own biases that i had about people who drink too much like you're only someone who drinks too much if you end up in jail yeah we have our own sort of level uh bars that we set and if we don't or the criteria and if we don't meet that criteria i know for me i'd be like oh well, i'm fine exactly you know, and, and this idea of being a functioning alcoholic and, and what i've what i've come to find out that it really means is that i just the level of the lack of caring about like the chaos that i would cause around <laughs> me, right i just didn't i just didn't care i wasn't functioning i just didn't care who i hurt right. you know including myself right so 
um, yeah, it's easy to it's easy to pass judgment on other people and and kind of uh, you know turn turn your head the other way when it comes to yourself. Yeah, you know, I just I and I see it. I'm like I try to be as um, I don't know. I try to get as involved in in things online as I can. I love to hear people's perspective on things and hear their stories. I think that's where we get more inspiration and more drive to stay on the road, right? The path. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just I hear it a lot. Um, of just like, well, you know, I went to AA and it was just full of a bunch of homeless people and criminals, and so. I'm not like that. And I don't want to, you know, and I hear it when I talk to my friends, like, well, you know, he didn't get a DUI or something. And I'm like, as if that makes it okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, like, and so I really want to open the discussion up to something more than that. Like, here's somebody who's sitting in front of you that at one point I was married. I, I pretended to have my stuff together for so long. You know, I had a home, I was debt free, I had chickens, I had fruit trees, I am educated, like, I have all of these things. And it's, and I have a, oh, by all accounts, a pretty good family, you know, Um, and it still happened to me. And so I really want the conversation to be more about that. Mm-hmm. Than to about that one internet troll that's going to say, well, we didn't get arrested, you know, because right. it, it exists. And I just want the conversation to be different. Yeah. And that's fine if for, for that person say, well, if I didn't get arrested, then I'm fine. And I, I, I've always found that, and maybe you agree or don't, but it's really something that you have to, you have to decide for yourself. Right. Because because <laughs> people could have told me all day that I was an alcoholic, but it wasn't until I really, and I said it for a very long time too, but it wasn't until I genuinely um, believed it that I was willing to change anything about myself, you know? Absolutely. Um, and so did you, so you reached out to this friend who had gone to treatment and what, what, what happened after that? Like, what was the, did you seek treatment yourself? No. So I didn't, to be honest, like I still didn't have the tools. Mm -hmm. Still didn't have the tools. She didn't live here and talking to her over the phone was great, but it's what I needed was somebody to hold my hand. Literally. I, I needed that at that point in my life. I needed either somebody to sit with me in my house and make sure I didn't pick up a drink or somebody to pick me up and take me somewhere because at that point I couldn't stop. Um, but the idea of entering into a treatment facility didn't cross my mind at this point. I I hadn't gotten that far. I, I couldn't see past what was happening in front of me at that very moment. Um, and so, um, she had given me some advice that was just, you know, you have to feel through it. And, that's great, but what does that mean? I've been avoiding feelings for 10 years. I don't know. And before that, food was a great mechanism for me to avoid feelings. So I really don't know what the hell I'm doing. And um, so I had um, 
it, that was about from when I spoke to her to when I got, in, when I got arrested for public intox was like six months. Mm-hmm. When I got arrested for public intoxication, it happened over a holiday weekend. It happened on a weekday over a holiday weekend. So I, for a public intoxication charge, spent five days in jail. And that five days was the detox that I needed. Um, And I was sick. I didn't belong in in jail. I probably should have been in a hospital. Um, But I, you know, that's, by the grace of God, I guess I can say like that, honestly, that I ended up there and it was miserable and I didn't eat for five days and I had the shakes and I sweated and I, I probably slept the entire five days I was there. Um, and I got out and I called, I didn't tell my family what had happened. Um, but I called my grandmother to just let her know I was done drinking. And she said, this is the best you've sounded in a long time. Fresh out of jail, the best you've sounded, yeah. I mean, what? who would have thought? <laughs> Fresh out of the slammer, and I sound better than I've sounded in years? So, but I'm not, I mean, I came out of jail. I lost my job because I was in jail for five days. Um, and here I am in a brand new apartment, no job no savings really. Cause I just went through a divorce. Um, and I'm better than ever. I'm just like it, I will figure it out. Mm-hmm. Like I have lifted this anchor off of my ankle, um, that has been keeping me down for so long and, um, really never looked back after that. And so you're not, you didn't get involved in any program or, um, I, I did. Okay. I did. So I was sober for like five months before I got into um, a program. Okay. So that five months, really, I spent doing a lot of different things. Um, and I felt like at the four to five month <clears throat> mark is where I realized, okay, I've accomplished a lot of things I need to accomplish, which is. I've gotten into this apartment. I've learned how to cope without alcohol. You know, I've, I've done a little bit of research, but if, but I have to take it to the next level if I intend to stay this way. Yeah. And, um, and that was just something that I, I didn't do any research on that. Um, I didn't talk to anybody about that. I just knew, you know, kind of like when you're working out, and you've done everything you can at the gym by yourself. And if you want to get to that next level, you need a trainer mm-hmm. or you need, to, you need to take a class or maybe join a, you know, that to me was how I equated it was um, I've done what I can on my own. And if I intend to stay sober, I've got to find a different plan of action. And so I went to a psychiatrist and the funny thing is, so in my town, there is a tiny, tiny little newspaper ad for AA. Tiny, tiny, tiny. I mean, I'm telling you, it's an inch by an inch and a half. Uh, I'm not even that. Maybe half inch by an inch. It's so tiny. And I had that on my refrigerator before 
I quit drinking because I had been, you know, contemplating this. And um, so I went to a psychiatrist because I knew part of me getting better was I needed to get my brain right and I needed to get on the right meds. I'd been seeing a, um, a nurse practitioner for some time and um, he had prescribed me Xanax before and that was part of my blackout problem. And, but I wasn't addicted to it. I was not abusing it, anything like that, but I was drinking when I took it. So I knew that that had to go. And my, so my psychiatrist is helping me figure this stuff out. And he goes, so what are your plans? I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> what are my plans? You're looking at it. Mm -hmm. I've got a job. I've got a house. Like, these are my plans. And he said, no. He said, no. Um, which is what I needed at that moment. I needed somebody to say, you don't have it figured out. Right. Like, and I, he said, I want you to go to AA. Um, it's at this place called the White House. And I said, yeah, I Googled the White House. It's on such and such street. And it looks like someone's house. And so in my head, I had already created this view of what it was in my I'm not kidding. I thought I was going to go knock, knock, knock on this person's door. And it was going to be somebody that was like, hey, here's a couch. There's two other people on it that you don't know. <laughs> Sit there. Like, I had no idea what to expect. And so I didn't go for, for a long time. And finally, he said, you have to go. It's, it's a block and a half away from me. I was like, oh, okay. And my appointment got over at 530. He said, they have a 6 p.m. meeting. I want you to go. It's right here. And he, and he gave me, he answered the questions I needed, which was, it's not somebody's house. <laughs> it's a public place. They're expecting you just, you know, and he, he gave me the rundown and that is what I needed. I needed somebody to tell me what it was going to be like. And I went in and I started going once a week. Um, I went once a week for about two months. After that, I started going, I realized by this point, I've now been sober six, seven months and I have um, gotten rid of most of my friends. I have now realized they are not friends. They were drinking buddies. They don't give a shit that you went to, through a divorce because they haven't checked on you. Um, they don't care that you're sober because they haven't checked on you. They're not your friends. Or... I tried to hang out with them as a sober person and them being drunk and it was terrible. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, Oh, this is a bad idea. Um, and so now I had nothing to do on Thursday night. And I'm like sitting here like this, like I'm going to get in. Tr I need something to do. I'm antsy. And so I started going for <laughs> four or five times a week. Sometimes on Saturday, I would go to every single meeting, uh, which is four meetings at my group. You're one of those people. <laughs> yes. I know a few I mean, of those. Yeah. I mean, I don't do that all the time, but it's like, what do you have going on today? Nothing. So go to um, a meeting. So go to a meeting. Yeah. Well, what are you going to, you know, and then, so you go to the morning meeting and then somebody asks you to go to breakfast, you chatting at breakfast and it's like, well, it's already 1145. She just go to the dude. 
And then, you know, you have plans. You always see Scott on mm-hmm. Sunday night or whatever. So, yeah. So sometimes I would go a lot of times during on the weekends or because my job, I would make up for what I missed during the week on the weekends. <clears throat> and I, I fell in love with the program. Um, I'm a natural anti-authority person. So it works um, perfectly, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was. I was a little nervous. You know, there was a, seemed like a lot of rules, a lot of unspoken traditions that I didn't quite understand, and I, and I was I was nervous. Suggestions, uh, they call them, right? Right, right. <laughs> you know, and um, it, and they just, I just did what they said. They just said, "Keep coming back. You're going to find something different in every meeting." And I thought to myself, like, I'm not really that religious of a person. Mm-hmm. Um, this is going to be a struggle. I could already tell. But I knew, like, there can't be this many people that have had success from it and it for it to be just this complete crapshoot. Like, right. I have to, there has to be something good about it. And so that was my goal, was it's an hour of your day. Go and find one thing that you can take away and majority of meetings I found three or four things that were great takeaways and it just became something that I really I missed when I didn't have it I felt anxious when I didn't go and became just a a place um, for me to have that that unity and that that togetherness that somebody is literally offering to hold my hand, like mm-hmm. everything I'd ever asked for. Somebody's literally like, I will come and get you. I will take you to coffee. I will. Did you, you know, get a sponsor right coffee. away or? No, because, okay. because when I was first going, I was really feeling it out. You know, we were doing things on Kristen's time and Kristen <clears throat> isn't going to let anybody else think that they know better than her, even though, but I really wasn't like a jerky newcomer. I was very, um, I, I was very focused and I listened and I really soaked up what I heard and I listened a lot. And, um, it wasn't until I never shared by the way, for, Three months, probably I'd never shared. April, May, June. Yeah, three months I never shared. And one of the things that I did when I first got sober was because I had lost all of my friends. Um, I had lost my best friend, alcohol. I for sure was not going to lose my other best friend, food. Um, And so I still wanted to go to the restaurants that I liked to go to and eat the food I liked to eat. Um, but they knew me so well that they would always have an alcoholic beverage waiting for me. Like I would come in and it would be there. So I had to train the people around me that I was not drinking because like, I'm sure you know, right? Like how many times have we said, ah, I'm not drinking. I'm not drinking. Right. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't stick. Two months into my sobriety, I remember meeting a friend and like, of course we'll go sit at the bar and I know the bartender and. And, um, and I'm still, I'm not drinking and I'm not going to drink. And he slides this, 
this new drink he's working on and he doesn't really i'm like i didn't make it a big deal or anything but it was my reaction i just grabbed the straw and tasted it and i was like immediately hit with this like flushness and i felt oh man what's going on here what have i done have i ruined everything and you know and just so when you talk about having to retrain people um you know that was a big eye opener about where I would sit in a restaurant, who I would sit with, and and to be even cognizant of my own behavior, which was not right. far from slipping back into what I used to be, you know. Absolutely. Um, I really wanted to train the people around me because I am I'm a group person. I thrive in a group, which is why AA works for me. You know, I understand that everyone likes that, but I thrive in a group, and so peer pressure, um, accountability, everything that comes with the group, the good and the bad. Mm -hmm. And so I really needed to train the people around me that I cannot drink. I cannot. And if you don't support me, I had no problem saying, I I will never hang out with you, you know, but those that still supported me and, and helped me along in my journey, they stayed around. They were for a little bit. But so what I did was I made these sweatshirts that said sober AF Mm -hmm. and I made these sweatshirts and I wore them everywhere. I'm not kidding you. I wore them everywhere. So when the bartender would say, Kristen, you still not drinking? I'd be like, no, no, not. And they would be like, wow. You know, because they see it all the time. Um, People that say they're not drinking and then a month later they're back. So Mm -hmm. I mean, I was just like, no, I mean, I would just throw my shirt up and like tell everyone, no, can't you see my shirt? And so because of that shirt, I happened to wear it to a Friday night AA meeting and um, a woman was sharing and her name was Becky. And Becky was sharing her story and I was tearing up. I was crying because it had just hit home to me. And um that shirt, the the person who was leading the group saw me and nobody was sharing. And she was like, hey, you, hey, hey, I'm like, oh no, I just made myself a target, you know? And she chose, she uh, chose me to speak. And I thought now's the time, I've been coming long enough. And I shared and I didn't cry. I, I didn't, but I was like, the tears were just, they were ready, you know, they were just ready to come. And afterwards, Becky came up to me and said, um, I'm so glad that you're here. Um, do you have a sponsor? And I said, no, I don't. She's like, well, you need one because the relief doesn't come until you work the steps. Um, and I was like, well, hold on, Becky. I was like, I'm really getting a lot of relief right now. And she was like, no, no, I'm sure you are. But you know, you cried almost every five minutes in today's meeting. She's like, you're hurting, you know, like, let, let me help you resolve some of those issues. And so I said, do you want to be my sponsor? (laughs) And she said, yes. And she shouldn't have said yes, because um, she was not a great sponsor, great friend, not a great sponsor. Um, She couldn't commit to me. 
um, because she has her own life going on. And so we kind of um, chatted every few weeks um, for the next few months until she fell off the face of the planet. Um, and um, so I knew I had to get another one. And it was just a matter of, hey. Hey. <laughs> hey. It was just a matter of me finding somebody that whose personality fit with mine. Um, in my home group, there's not a lot of women that I, that come. It's mm -hmm. a lot of men. And the women that do come um, are pretty much like they have their, their books are full because we just have so many few women. So I, I finally found a woman um, who talked like me and she acted like me. And I thought, I'll ask her. And um, it's been great. And I think with a key to the sponsor thing, and, and I wish, you know, I guess it's partially my, my issue that I didn't really connect with a lot of people. Um, and that was, you know, one of the, the tips that someone had given me, before, you know, was spend time talking with people before and after meetings and people can help you. Um, but mm -hmm. one of the suggestions that, um, that someone had given me after the fact was you should start out with a temporary sponsor. Um, and you know, somebody who can just kind of help you along until you find, you know, so you don't feel like you're stuck with this person for the rest of your sobriety. Yes. Yes. I think that's an important thing that people get stuck on. And, you know, my, my buddy, you know, his dad, who's been in the program since, I don't know what, 1989 or something like that. You know, he's like, we, I was talking to him about finding a sponsor or something. And he's like, well, you don't have to marry the guy, you know, and if it doesn't work, like, then, then go find somebody else. And if that one doesn't work, then go find somebody else. And not everybody is made for everybody. So, you know, find, find somebody yeah. who jibes with you. But, you know, I wish that there was this like AA handbook, like the Cliff's Notes AA before you get started, because these mm -hmm. are not things that like are exactly, you know, not like out in the public. And so, um, and I had a lot of anxiety about that, right? Like, I don't want to break up with this person. Um, you know, yeah. it, it's like I agreed to to marry her um, <laughs> after knowing her for five minutes. Um, so the woman that I ended up asking to be my sponsor, you know, it's um, it was really about I'd seen her in a bunch of meetings. Um, we attended one regularly at, on Sundays and I liked what she had to say. Um, we really just jived. And so I think it's just important for people to understand that that process from my first sponsor, which was started in June, to finding another sponsor, like working that process out that this isn't going to be a good sponsor for me and then finding another one from June to October. You know, so here I am in October. I've been sober now almost a year and I haven't even started steps. Mm -hmm. And that was really hard for me because I'm a perfectionist and I'm in this, I'm a studious person and I'm a checklist gal. So the second I get these steps started and finished, I'm good with sobriety. I'm done. Graduated. I, done. I have graduated. 
Um, and anyway, so yeah, I mean, I like my sponsor because she drives with me personally. Our personalities are similar. Um, I don't check in with her every day. I know a lot of sponsors require that. Um, I just told her I won't not, I'm on my phone constantly. Um, I'm just not going to check in with you every day. Um, and there are some other things that she gave me leeway on, uh, that I think some really stern sponsors probably don't, but that was important. You know, um, I don't want sobriety and hang and checking in with a sponsor to be another chore. I was very similar in that I needed sort of a gentle um, introduction to things and for somebody to to be easy on me rather than than to to be hard. And so that was that was the biggest thing, too, because when I went into it, I was very suspicious about it all. And even when I got a sponsor, I was like, yeah, I'm not so sure this is for me. I'm not even so sure you're for me, but let's go ahead and check it out because, you know. Why not? I did that. I did the other thing for two decades. Why not try something else? And so, but he was always very kind and very, still is. I mean, he's moved away, but, um, so I think that that's important to find someone that, and, uh, he, but he was also, you know, when it, when it was important and he said, Hey, John, I need you to do something for me, you know, and this is non-negotiable and it's like, okay, I understand you have your, you know, your rules as well. And I mean, but it still worked out. So, right. um, you found this woman, um, and how, how, how many days, years, what are your, what, when's your birthday? When's your, your AA birthday, your sobriety birthday? Um, so today's 531 days. My sobriety birthday is November 8th of 2017. Congratulations. That's awesome. Very Thank cool. Um, you. so, so did you work the steps with this, with this woman? Yeah, I actually just finished them. Um, it's April 23rd. So I finished about four weeks ago, my 12 steps. Um, and that is what I, I think I had been looking forward to. And I know a lot of people when I talk to them are very scared. And for me, man, I've just been, holding on to so much like somebody told me I was going to get relief from this I am expecting relief I will do whatever you ask me to do um in order to to feel better and to not have to feel that way again I mean I I really would um and so we started out and you know we went to a coffee shop and, and I told her a bunch of stuff and she was like, well, you know, so do you really still want me to be your sponsor? And I was like, yes, like, of course, I just told you all of this stuff. What do you mean? She's like, well, Kristen, you know, I need to ask. I want to make sure that you're still okay with it. And then I thought, oh my gosh, how like kind of this woman to ask my opinion about this. Um, and, and we immediately went into um, some homework. And I just really realized that um, that's what I've been missing um, with the last sponsor. Um, left to my own devices, I was not going to read the big book. Um, it was hard to read. It was confusing. Um, 
I don't know what the hell any of that had to do with saying I'm sorry to people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I didn't, what am I supposed to do with this gibberish? And so, you know, she gave me a, we're going to meet next Monday, by next Monday, this is what I want you to have read. And it was doable. You know, it was maybe an hour and a half of work. I want you to have this read. I want this. I want that and this. And that's it. And it wasn't this big to do. You know, it wasn't like, okay, read all of this and let's come back and text me whenever you have a question about something. You know, it wasn't like that. It was exactly how I like to be left alone in life, which is, you know, at work, which is here's the task, go accomplish it. I'll see you in a week. And so every week uh, we met at this coffee shop and um, we talked about stuff and we set a new one and, and it became like new homework. And it became something that like, I just really enjoyed. I, I started going to big book studies, started going to 12 and 12 studies. um, And I just, you know, just really invigorated me. And I felt like there's, there's a path for me. Um, And I don't really, I mean, the hardest, the only thing that I really struggled with was writing, was my amends. Um, you know, I know a lot of people talk about fourth step nightmares and I didn't really have that. Um, but my amends was, was the hardest thing. And my amends are to people that don't live here. Um, I'll never be able to probably talk to them in person. And so I had to write letters to some people and, um, I wrote these letters And I hadn't, they were sitting on my desk at work for five weeks, maybe like, I'm not going to mail these, (laughs) like I'm not mailing these. And I came into work one day and they were gone. And I was like, freaking out. Oh my God, who who moved my letters? And this guy was like, Chris, they were stamped. They were, looked like they were ready to go. So I just put them in the mail for you. Just doing you a little favor. Yeah about God doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I put the letters in the mail to be totally honest with you. I don't think anybody even got the letters because months went by and I was just like, I haven't heard from these people. And um, some of them don't, we don't have each other's numbers and we don't have a way to connect, but there was two people in particular that I'm like, why have I not heard from them? Anyway, you know, I could have taken that and and ran with that in any direction that I wanted, but I just was like, it's their choice to not respond. That's their right. Um, but what actually ended up happening was um, one of them was to my ex-husband and he lives in Afghanistan. Um, he works there. And so the letter had to get to him. And so it took some time and I got a text message out of the blue that just said, Hey, I wanted to let you know that I got your letter. I was really having a terrible day. Um, that really helped me get through it. I don't usually understand stuff like this, but I think I get it now. I just want to tell you, thank you. That's great. It was like, 
I cry. I mean, I'm almost about to cry now. Um, you know, it was just really great to, cause they can respond anyway. Right. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it was just great to see that, like, to let go of that selfishness that it's really not all about me. You know, I've done some things that have really hurt some people and, um, to see that something I said helps them move on in their life. Um, for me to apologize for stuff. Um, and by the way, to write a letter where you can't say, so I'm sorry for blah, blah, blah. But if you remember correctly, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like there is none of that. It is legitimately just saying I did this and I'm sorry. No reason, no justification, no excuse. And um, you know, with each step, I just felt kind of reinvigorated and um, just, yeah, I'm like even more hardcore about AA than I was before I started. So you're, you're 18 months sober thereabouts. Um, yeah. Can I, well, what is your, like, what is your daily routine? What is it? What are the things you do today? When you're, you know, when you wake up, do you have a routine in the morning? Are the things that you do, what are the tools in your tool bag that you yeah. use today um, to help you keep sober, to help you when things are bad, to to maybe even when you think about like, gosh, you know what would really fix this? Sometimes I get this way. It's like, well, a drink would really fix this. And then I have to stop and think, well, so what is actually the problem when that when that pops in my head? What do you do? What do you do today? So... I totally know that feeling of like, God, you know what would really make this pain go away? I could just numb it out. Um, mm-hmm. I do get those things. Um, and, and what's great is that, you know, the longer you go on in sobriety, the less and less and less that happens. Um, but um, every morning I do like to meditate. Um, it is this thing that I have had anxiety for so many years. And how do you deal with anxiety? I don't know. Give me a pill and I hope it goes away. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's all of these like coping things and just different things that people say. And alcohol was probably the number one stressor on that, that I didn't know, right? I didn't know that at the time. Um, but I started looking into, um, a a friend of mine who, um, is into Brazilian jiu-jitsu, um, introduced me to Wim Hof breathing. I've heard of this person. Yes. I've heard of this man. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I had done some meditating before and to be honest, I'm always kind of like, you hippies, um, with (laughs) you, like, I gonna do I I'm a very go 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 person I don't want to sit down and and think about nothing but when this friend of mine introduced me to Wim Hof breathing it changed my life because it's almost an instant anxiety reliever and can you explain a little bit about um what it is sure so (laughs) Wim Hof breathing is um basically you suck in a bunch of air 
and you exhale, except when you exhale, you don't exhale everything. So you leave some, you reserve some, right? So when you breathe out, it's only kind of like a half breath breathing out. But then when you breathe in again, you still breathe in a full breath and you don't let everything out. So the premise is, is that you're basically building this reservoir of air. And after breathing like that for 30 seconds and just taking in and um, expanding your lungs to their max capacity, you should be able to hold your breath for a minute and a half. And I have made it longer than a minute and a half, um, but that's not, that's not even where I saw the relief. The relief is and you can't focus on the stuff that's cr making you crazy and giving you anxiety because you're trying to figure out how you're going to hold all this air in your lungs. <laughs> like, and um, so it's a, it's a practice that each time you do it should take about, um, you know, two to three minutes, really not mm -hmm. long. Um, but I do that every morning when I wake up. I do that um, whenever I'm about to go into a big meeting, whenever I just in general have anxiety and I get that feeling of I'm antsy, I'm restless, um, I'm feeling something, I don't know what it is, and I'll do that. And I, it, what's crazy about it is I'll, I'll do it in a restaurant. Like, <laughs> I'm just like. If it works, right? Yeah, because I'm like all of these people are giving me anxiety, like all the stuff is going on around me. I'll just do it. Um, and uh, so I do that. I always um, like, I, I write a lot of things down. Um, so I either write it down or um, I talk into my phone. So I just hit the record button and I just talk. And I always go through gratitude lists, like, Anytime, and I do it every morning, but I'm telling you, anytime I'm in a crappy mood, that's the first thing that I do is, you know what, you are a spoiled rotten brat, <laughs> but you know, not really, but just like, okay, what's great about this? What do you have to be thankful for? And what do you have to be grateful for? And it really helps me get out of my own head. Um, so I do that. I connect with at least, I say at least one sober person every day. In reality, I probably connect with 10 sober people a day. And I know that's not natural um, for people. <laughs> I know that's not natural, but just because of like the Instagram posts that I do and like the other things, like people constantly reaching out to me, I have people that I'm constantly reaching out to. So realistically like 10 people a day that are in sobriety that I connect with um I try to make my bed every day I don't get to it all the time um but I do make sure that my routine pretty much stays the same you know um in terms of trying to get my day going and to feel accomplished mm -hmm. I found that really helps my depression. Um, that's the biggest thing for me because if I don't get started in the day and I don't get up 
and and do something productive there will be there might as well be a cement wall that is keeping that apartment door shut i'm not leaving yeah you know yes i do i know very well <laughs> that i have these things and if the checklist doesn't get done of the three things in the morning then i'm not even interested in the rest of the stuff that i that i either needed to do or even wanted to do so exactly. yeah might as um, well throw the trash <laughs> mm-hmm. it's true it's absolutely true um that's awesome i'm so i'm just glad that i reached out to you and i'm glad that we could make this work and um yeah i just think it's great what you do and and tell me about this i wanted to ask you about the jewelry too yeah. um okay so like i was telling you when i first got sober i made all of these sweatshirts that said mm-hmm. sober and i got so many people that asked me to make them for them And to be honest, like I had no desire to do that. I don't want to have an obligation to you. I don't, it was hard work to be honest. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to, no, your $30 is not worth it. I'm not right. But what I needed, I I got like my, my AA group gives you these junky AA chips. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, the one year one is is very nice, but the rest of them are junk. So I would keep those in my wallet. Um, But it got to the point where I would have too many in my wallet and my wallet was too big and I wanted something I could wear. So I was kind of looking online and all I could find was t-shirts and I can't wear a t-shirt that says sober. I mean, I just, and everything is so cute, but I just, I wanted something I could wear daily. Um, and so I'm all, I've always been a crafty person. So I just, I, I started making my own. And, um, so I make rings that say sober AF on them, which, um, it's not everybody's cup of tea, but I make everything by hand so I can customize it to say anything that you want. And so a lot of people will just message me can you make that say sober life or can you change this word or change that word? And um, when we talk about AA, um, like the importance of giving back, like this is so helpful for me. Um, Like, you know, I think I've sold over a hundred and some 50, you know, sets of, of rings and necklaces and bracelets. And to see that many people that are freaking really proud to be sober and to, you know, it's hard, it's hard and it's lonely. Yeah. It's lonely. And it's, you're kind of on an Island because people don't get it. They just, unless they've been through it, they don't get it. And I wanted to wear something every day that reminded me like that, I am bigger than this problem. This problem doesn't define me. Um, it's not the end of the world. But, you know, those things are so hard in the moment to understand. And I wanted something to to look at and to touch and to feel. And so I had one person reach out and say, will you make, well, actually I had about five people reach out initially. And I thought, well, I've got enough material. Sure. And then after that, I just had more and more and more people and I found a lot of joy from it. And, um, 
as someone who's never stuck with anything in my life, um, you know, it's been a really important part of my recovery um, to do something for somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and to just see that many people, um, you know, going through a struggle that's similar to mine and yeah. that they're, they're proud of it. And so, yeah, so I have an Etsy store and I have a website. Um, what and I'm just, please tell people, uh, now's the time to, uh, to plug it all. Yeah. So my Etsy store is sober sinky. Um, my maiden name is sink and growing up, everybody called me sinky. So it's sober and then sinky C I N K Y. Um, and the website sober And then that's also the Instagram handle. So, um, can find it all there and everything's customizable. So you can just reach out to me and I'm happy to make anything that you can be proud to recover with. Well, Kristen, <laughs> I'm, I'm, it's really nice to meet you and to talk with you and, um, and thank you for, thank you for sharing. I mean, most importantly, whether it's, you know, jewelry and your story and just everything. So I really, I really, really appreciate you doing this. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks again for listening. Our music, as always, is by Neglect. You can find more of his stuff at neglect.bandcamp.com. And you can find us on all social media platforms that matter, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And you can reach us at aisforalcoholic at gmail.com. Talk to you later. Yeah. <laughs>